0: Hi, and welcome to the West Say Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening and God bless. In John chapter six, Jesus is asked, or he asked Peter actually, he says, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go, you have the words of eternal life. I appreciate Greg leading that song and all those songs because they all emphasize this idea that Christ's words are the words of life. That's why we spend a lot of time studying them. That's why we put an emphasis on on Bible study in this congregation. That's why we always encourage people to spend time In the book, because the more you learn about the gospel of Jesus, the more motivated you are to live for him, to overcome sin, to make a difference in the world, and to just have a better life. That's how powerful the gospel is. But let me ask this morning, though, can we confidently say that we always have that type of zeal toward the gospel? Or maybe take it even a step further here, how dedicated are we to studying the Bible? How dedicated are we to wanting to learn more about this book and what it says and how we can live it out and and what it means and how different passages connect and the history behind them and all of that? Are we gung ho for it or is it just something that kind of takes a back seat to a lot of portions of our life? Let me ask it another way. Besides attending church services, which I know this last year that was even weirder, but besides attending church services, what are you doing? to grow in your knowledge of the Bible? Now, that might be a tough question for some of us. Besides just coming to a church or a sin, even for those of us to go to Bible class and things like that, after you remove stuff that goes on in this building, what are we doing to grow in our knowledge of the Bible? Let me give you a few points of encouragement because our lesson this morning is going to be dealing with those who want to learn more about the Bible, and for those that maybe are struggling with it, I wanted to encourage you and myself included to be a better student before we get into this next part of the lesson. But if the only time you're learning the Bible is in this church building, that's a problem. And there's so many resources out there that help you with your Bible. So let me just give you a couple ideas real quick. First off, just reading the Bible alone will help you grow in your knowledge of it. And it's so easy nowadays. If you want a a paper-bound Bible, you can go to Dollar Tree and buy a Bible for a dollar. In fact, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, steal one off the pew in front of you. It's not stealing. We're giving you permission, okay? And there's apps you can download on your phone, which we have those with us all the time. And they can set up daily Bible reading plans. Zinni, this last year, read through her Bible on an app on her phone. And it even had, like, corresponding video lessons with what she was reading. Free, you can download that stuff. You can set alarms and reminders that when you get up, your phone goes off at seven o'clock and says, read this passage, easy, spend time in the Bible. If you don't know where to start, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read one of those, read it again, read it multiple times, read the story of Jesus, and then from there, you can branch out, but spend time in the Bible. Also, read books about the Bible. There's so many good study resources out there where you can read them, whether a paper-bound book or electronically, that you can read about, you know, how to study the Bible, what different words mean, and the history behind different backgrounds. You can learn a lot and grow in your knowledge of the Bible that way. And then finally, listen to lessons about the Bible. We live in such an amazing time with the wealth of information. You know, when I started preaching, it used to be, and you guys are way older than me, but I mean, you had to have like CDs of the sermons that you wanted to listen to and stuff. Before that, cassettes, before that, records, before that, tablets of stone. But I mean, we, you understand though, we live in now an age where I can, on the device that most of us carry in our pockets, pull out free lessons about the Bible anytime or place. You know, this week, uh, I like to vacuum and stuff like that for fun. I'm weird, Um, but that's when I do a lot of thinking. I'll put my headphones in and listen to Bible scholars discuss different Bible topics, and I'll learn and I'll grow. There's free resources out there where you can listen to stuff besides me. Please don't just listen to only me, okay? That's disturbing if that's all you do. Um, But there's free stuff out there. If you need information, talk to me. I'll give you some lessons and and apps and, and sermons and YouTube channels and everything else that you can listen to to grow. Don't just spend time in the Bible in this building. Spend time in God's word. All the time. All right, with that being the groundwork then, let me ask a question then this morning. Where did you get your particular understanding of the Bible? See, all of us have an understanding of the Bible in some sense. All of us have opinions about the Bible. All of us have interpretations of the Bible. All of us have ideas. Ask again, where did you get your current understanding of it? Now, most would say, well, from the Bible itself. But here's the deal. Everybody who likes the Bible is going to claim that same thing, right? That they got their particular understanding from the Bible itself. The reality is, though, many of us got our understanding from Scripture not so much from our own particular Bible study. We got it from someone else's study. Maybe the preacher at the church where we grew up. Maybe from a Bible class teacher maybe from your favorite podcaster, maybe from your favorite commentator, maybe from your parents or grandparents. They were the ones who gave you your understanding of the Bible. And I'm not saying it's wrong to learn from anyone. However, our understanding of the Bible needs to be our own. Not from what Cliff said, not from what one of the elders here said, not from what your favorite Bible class teacher said. Our understanding of the Bible needs to come from our own study of it. Now, that's where the challenge comes in, because that takes work. See, when we get our understanding of the scripture from someone else, well, my parents always taught me this or that. Well, I hope they taught you the truth, but that's where you got your understanding. You're not going to grow. Your faith will be weak. Our understanding of the Bible needs to come from our own study of the Bible. And what happens is the more time you spend in it, the more time you spend learning about it. This last year, I know COVID made things different and weird. For me, it's been great for Bible study. I have spent more time learning God's word this last year than I have in maybe multiple years combined. Maybe it's because there wasn't so many different events and things going on. You know, I, I was working on ministry, it was more focused on study. My office became my study, which was a whole lot, whole lot nicer. But with this, the more time you spend in the Bible, you will discover that what you are so sure of is not always so clear. That's the truth of the matter. The more time you spend in the Bible, realize all those things that maybe you thought, this is absolutely the way it is. You're like, wait a second. I know I was told that it's really clear. The preacher always said that, but it's not. On the flip side, those points that you thought were kind of foggy, I just don't get that. I just don't know if that's true or not. I just don't know if I can really hang my hat on this idea, you'll find that, wait a second, there are some teachings there that are very clearly seen and that you can prove from scripture, but it comes from doing study on your own. With that too, when you spend time in Bible study, digging into it, not just hearing lessons that agree with what you already believe, not just reading books that already reinforce an idea that maybe you had. You know, we see this a lot of times in politics and things. Social media becomes an echo chamber where what happens is, is you only have follow pages and posts and friends who agree with you so you're never challenged. That happens when it comes to the Bible too where a lot of times we just surround ourselves with teachings we already agree with. But what will happen when you spend time in the Bible yourself, you'll realize you're wrong. I realize I'm wrong. The question is, how will we handle being wrong? And that's where this lesson really is going to take hold this morning. When you spend time in the Bible, you're going to find times, I do too, where I'm wrong. Whether I believed something wrong, I'm behaving in a wrong way, I'm teaching a wrong teaching. That's what will happen. In fact, if you never are proven wrong by Scripture, you're not spending enough time in Scripture, or you're Jesus. Besides that, I mean, we're doing something wrong here. So the question is: how will you handle? Being wrong, How will you respond to that? See, when that question relates to our attitude toward the gospel, that question also relates to our attitude toward the Bible as a whole. When we study it, when we open it up, how will we handle it when it says change? Do we get angry? Do we cast off all our faith? If we found out that what we always thought was true about the Bible and what your favorite preacher way back when said was wrong, Are you gonna just give up on faith and stop following Jesus? Or are you gonna go, okay, time to make a change? If you find out that a behavior that you thought was completely allowed by God, you're like, wait a second, God says that's a sin. I'm a sinner. Well, I might as well give up. Or are we going to repent? Or if you find a command or or a teaching that we're not really fulfilling like we should, are we gonna go, let's make a change? Or are we gonna dig our heels in and, and get upset? It's a question of attitude, it's a question of mindset, it's a question. Of our heart. With that in mind, what I want to do this morning is I want us to continue our study of the book of Acts. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through verse 15. And as we look at this section of scripture right here, we're going to look at two different responses to the gospel. And these two responses really reflect well the mindset of all of us at different times in our lives. The question is how will we respond to God's word when it's presented to us? Maybe when it challenges us or even when it corrects us or rebukes us. To set the stage, if you're new to the study. Matthew, Mark, Luke, oh, well, in fact, the whole Bible. The Bible is divided up into two parts. You've got an Old Testament and a New Testament. Old Testament tells that about the time before Jesus. There's a lot of teachings to the Jewish people because God had some special commands for them to prepare them because the Messiah, Jesus, was going to be born from them. When you get into the New Testament, you have the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell about Jesus, the Son of God, what he did, how he lived, how he taught. Jesus died buried. He was rose, rose again. You know, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He stayed on earth for a little while, and then he ascended into heaven to await his final return on Judgment Day. What we have then is after Jesus ascends to heaven, he has followers, disciples, apostles, these special people that were sent out to preach the gospel, to preach the message of Jesus. The book of Acts tells that story of how they went out and preached the message to the entire world, turning the world upside down with their message. They had a lot of challenges. They had to deal with racial conflict, Jew and Gentile, you know, um, bigotry was very common back then. They had to work through that. They had to work through people coming from different backgrounds. They had to work through different struggles with sins and, and all of that. And in Acts chapter 17, what we find is there is a preacher, an early church leader by the name of Paul, who's preaching up in the area, I think it's called like Asia Minor, modern day Turkey up in, you know, into Europe and the, where the Greeks were and all of that, out there preaching the gospel message. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 17 and in verse one. Let's read. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica and there was a synagogue of the Jews. So during this time, there was, of course, Judaism, the Jewish faith was still being practiced, and people would come together in synagogues, like they do today, and they would study the Torah, the old law. Paul's practice was oftentimes to go into those meetings and have Bible discussions with them, because they already had the foundation of believing in the Old Testament. That's good groundwork for teaching people about Jesus, because the Old Testament tells a lot about the coming of Jesus. So Paul would go in there and talk to these people. These people in these synagogues were most likely Jewish converts who were from a Greek background too, and they're um, following the Old Testament. They're people that are kind of open-minded a little bit, and they want to learn more. So verse 2, according to Paul's custom, he um, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, so three weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And that's what we do with people. We sit down with them, we talk with them, we share with them the Bible. It takes time, it takes work to explain things, and we work through it together. Verse three, explaining and giving evidence, so he's doing it from scripture, giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is Christ, which by the way, from an evangelistic standpoint, this is kind of neat. Because what Bible was he preaching from back then? What was circulated around back then? Not the entire New Testament. In fact. When Paul's reasoning with them from the scriptures here, he's proving to them the coming of the Messiah from the Old Testament. And he's telling them that this Jesus who they heard about was the God that's mentioned in passages like, oh, Isaiah 53. That's what he's doing. So I mean, this is very much an activity of, of using our human intellect and reason. It takes work. I mean, it's not an easy, hey, Matthew says Jesus is the son of God, follow him. They might have not had that. He's preaching to them Jesus from the Old Testament and telling them about his own firsthand experiences and teaching to them about Jesus and telling them, the Old Testament is telling you about Jesus who is the Christ. Now, what we have here then is a response to the word. Paul's preaching to these Thessalonians and he's teaching them that the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus and that Jesus is the son of God whom they should follow. The question is then, how are they going to respond? Well, let's read. Verse four, and some of them were persuaded. They were convinced. They heard the evidence and they changed because of it. That's the attitude we should have at all times. When the evidence is presented, even when it hurts, even when it means going against what we've always thought or believed, whether it was before Christ or in Christ, okay? Whether it means going against what mom and dad said, What grandma and grandpa said, what your preacher said, what your Bible class teacher said, you know, any of that. We need to be persuaded by the facts at hand and from scripture. And that's what they did. Some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So you have people that are Jewish that are being persuaded, people that are God-fearing Greeks, so these are Greeks that have a familiarity with the God of the Old Testament, maybe proselyte, you know, Jewish converts. Nevertheless, these are truth seekers. So you have Jewish people, God-fearing Greeks, so people that have an open mind to learning about God, not just the gods of the Greeks, but the true God of the Bible. They come and they are persuaded and they start to follow Paul and Silas and a number of leading women. And we've emphasized this a lot lately and it needs to be emphasized. Christianity. Is so liberating in that culture at that time for bringing women to, into the fold and giving them, you know, these prominent positions and things of influence in the early church. Usually, a Jewish man like Paul wouldn't talk to a woman. Nevertheless, a Greek woman, and we already talked about that last week with the conversion of Lydia, but here you have now other women coming to Christ. The early church did a lot. Because in a culture that maybe oppressed women or would maybe look down upon them being of the same tier, Christianity doesn't do that. It welcomes them in. And so you have them being converted too. Then we go on though, verse five. But the Jews becoming jealous, which this is sad by the way, because the ones that should have been open to hearing the message of Jesus would have been these Jewish people who grew up in the scriptures, but you want to know the hardest people to get the change their mind are people that are brought up going to church. The hardest people to get the change their minds are people like us, okay? People that, well, we know the book. I quote it. I got book chapter and verse for everything I do. The Jews kind of believed that too, didn't they? And yet Paul comes in and he's telling them, hey, by the way, you don't have it all figured out. How dare you say that? My granddad preached in this synagogue. I've been studying Torah since I was just a little Hebrew. Nope. Paul says you didn't fully understand it. We get the same way, don't we? Same thing. I've been sitting in this same pew since this church building was open, which isn't that long because it's like 2001. But anyway, I mean, right, we can do that at times. We can get really hard-headed. And sometimes it's The the outsiders that are more apt to hear the message, God-fearing Greeks and women are the ones that are buying into it right now. Those that should have known better, they become jealous. Why would you become jealous? Why would you become jealous at someone obeying the word of God? Why would that upset you? Well, now they're not as important anymore. See, when other people are believing a message that you're not preaching, that means you're wrong. People don't like being wrong. Have you ever met somebody that will never admit wrong? That's a sin, by the way. And you know what? We have to work on that. We can't be a people that are always so hard-headed that we're not willing to admit that we're wrong, and when someone else comes to acknowledge the truth, we get angry about it. Or maybe they're losing their position of influence. They're not as popular anymore. They're not as powerful anymore. They're not as influential anymore because no one's gonna listen to them if they're wrong, It says that they became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob. Now, look what they did. These are supposed to be godly people. Well, sometimes so-called godly people do a lot of ungodly things, and that's what they did here. These are supposed to be godly people, but they go into the marketplace, and they find the local, I don't know, you'd say like, like hard-headed fight starters, you know, kind of those rougher people that are just looking for a reason to cause a problem. You know, it's like they go into the bad part of town and say, hey, you guys like starting fights? I got some people we got to jump. And that's what they do. So picture this, mind you. These are like, you know, bearded religious scholars going in there and finding some local drunk to go beat somebody up. So they go into the marketplace and they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. So they get everybody all riled up and they start a riot. They start a riot because they're losing their power because they're wrong. They're wrong. So they stir up a bunch of people that are just opportunists that cause a problem. which you ever met somebody like that? They're like, hey, I don't even know why we're fighting, but hey, let's riot. And that's kind of what they're doing here. And they get all these people and they cause this problem. And they go in to and they attack the house of Jason. Now, you might think, who's Jason? We never heard of this guy. Jason clearly was a, a leader in the early church and Christians were hanging out at his house. So he was kind of a, a center of Christianity in this community, his house. So they come to the house of Jason and they're seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, when they didn't find Paul and Silas, they drugged Jason, poor Jason, and some of the brethren before the city authority shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's what the early church did. They did, they turned the world on its uh, upside down on its axis and that's what's going on here. Paul and Silas are preaching a message that's upsetting the background of all these Jewish people, that's causing people to leave their pagan gods. They're telling people that there's a one God only in the heavens and that they need to follow Jesus Christ. That message is upsetting people. So these Jewish leaders form a mob and they storm the house of an innocent guy and drag him out and go, he's part of the group that's causing all this problem. Doesn't sound like these people are behaving very godly. You wanna know why preachers are sometimes afraid to preach the truth that challenges an audience? We don't have a house like poor Jason did right here. And Jason gets dragged out of the house and they make all these accusations against him. And they say, this Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. So they twist the words of the Christians. The Christians believe there's only one king, right? King Jesus. Now, they would acknowledge Caesar as king of that realm and all of that, but they twist their words saying, oh, they have their own king. That's what people do. When you challenge their teaching, they'll spread rumors about you and all sorts of stuff. And they said there's only one, there's another king, Jesus. And they stirred the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. So everybody's worked up against them. Verse nine, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. He kind of posted bail is what happened. So they arrest him, they get him to post bail, give him some money and all of that, and they release them and then they they go on. This is our first response to the gospel right here, the Thessalonians. Hopefully we're not like them. That when we're challenged, that when we're rebuked, when we're confronted, we get jealous, angry, and start a riot, hopefully, that's not us. That's response number one. Response number two, though, the next group of people we'll look at is a different group of people. A group of people has a different attitude. Some individuals that didn't act like these Thessalonians. Verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. They did the same thing They go into another community, they find a gathering of Bible-believing people and start talking to them about Jesus. That's what they did here. And then look what the text says in verse 11. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Well, they haven't started a riot yet, which is already a start, right? They're more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, like hearing the message, They were eager to hear it. They were excited to hear it. You know, I'll turn on a podcast in the car on some Bible subject that I'm listening to, and all my kids go, uh, right? I want them to be like the Thessalonians and be like, yeah, Bible project. It hasn't happened yet. I'm working toward it. But here, these Thessalonians, or the Bereans, were like, yes, we're eager for it. Grown, uh, another Bible lesson. And they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They heard the argumentation from Paul. See, they're students of the Old Testament too. Paul and Silas are here saying, hey, by the way, this is all about Jesus, this guy who we follow. They're going, hmm, let me look into that. And they study it themselves. That's what I want people to do as a preacher too. I want to say, hey, by the way, have you thought of this? And you go, I haven't. Let me study that. That's how we should respond to the message. It says, therefore, many of them believed. many believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men, again, outsiders coming to the church. But when the Jews of Thessalonica, they're still around? Think you think they'd go away? No. Nope. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. They couldn't just leave them Alone. So there, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica, they preach the truth and they almost get killed and they leave. They go to Berea. When they're in Berea preaching the truth, the guys up in Thessalonica go, hey, let's still get them. They haven't left far enough out of the region. So they go there and try to cause problems too. Which that happens, read the comments section on sermons on YouTube sometime. People just don't let things go. And that's what these guys were doing here. They didn't let it go. So they go into Berea and still cause problems, agitating the crowds. Verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. So they had to send him all the way to the ocean. And Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, which is totally cool. He's heading up into Greece now. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. And they left. So our second response is the Bereans. The Bereans heard the message, they examined it, they searched the scriptures daily, and they believed. The question is then, are we gonna be like them? See, we quote this verse all the time, verse 11 of Acts chapter 17, which shows the attitude we should have toward any time a message about Jesus is preached. We receive that word, we have a ready mind to understand it, and we also check it out for ourselves, which, by the way, We have a tendency to want other people to do this, but a lot of times we're not willing to do it ourselves. We fall back on tradition and what we've always believed, what we've always been taught, what we always assumed, just as much as everybody else out there. We need to have the attitude of the Bereans. So the question then this morning, are you a Berean or a Thessalonian? Well, we want to be a Berean, right? They're the good guys in this story, the Thessalonians. I know there was good Thessalonians too, but we're characterizing the mob as them. You know, Are you a Berean or are you a Thessalonian? Well, you're a Berean, number one, if you want to down, you can. You're a Berean if you're an active truth seeker. An active truth seeker, not a passive one. There is no passive truth seeking. To seek something, you're active, okay? The other way around is kind of an oxymoron. It doesn't work out. You got to be actively trying to learn the truth. You open your mind. You open your Bibles. You talk. You discuss. You think. You meditate. You contemplate. You're an active truth seeker. If if you're a Berean, that's what you're going to do. Number two, you are willing to be challenged. If any time a teaching is presented, that challenges you and you immediately put up your guard and go, no, I'm not going to listen. No, 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 no. I'm not going to hear it. That's a problem. Challenge yourself. In fact, and I know you're not supposed to say this as a preacher, I say listen to people that you disagree with. I say listen to sermons that challenge a a preconceived idea that you have. Listen to somebody who says you're wrong and see if they can prove it. I mean, truth is truth. I believe in it. And truth will hold water. I mean, if, if you're challenged, if you can't back up what you believe or teach or taught, then, well, there's a problem with it. Change. Are you willing to be challenged? The Bereans were. They were willing to be challenged and they were able to obey because of it. Number three, you're a Berean if you're into scriptures daily. Notice it says they examine the scriptures daily to see whether or not what they were being taught was the truth. Now I know that that might be an immediate thing at that time with what was being taught and they had to digest it all. But general principle, daily time spent in the scripture will make your faith stronger without a doubt. If you stay away from it, if you don't consume it, if you don't learn it, your faith will suffer. My kids tease me because when I travel and preach at different places, there's a lesson that I always give on Bible study because, I don't know, you have to do as a preacher. And I have this illustration about a guy who almost died of starvation, and they always talk about this illustration because they've heard it 10,000 times. But the reality is this, if you don't consume A ready, healthy diet of God's word, you will become spiritually weak and you will die spiritually. And just coming to church once a week, oh, even throwing a Wednesday night Bible class in there isn't enough. Is that a healthy diet? If you only ate on Sundays and Wednesdays, would you be healthy? No, Coulter gets it, right? Amen. You wouldn't be healthy. Consume God's word daily. You're a Berean if you're open to receive the message. You have an open heart. You go, you know what? I want to hear it. You don't just get angry. You don't get jealous. And if you form your own belief from your own study, you're a Berean. On the other hand, though, you might be a Thessalonian, which we don't want to be, okay? You're a Thessalonian if you become jealous when the word leads people to change. You don't like it when people from their own study of God's word come to a conclusion about it and you didn't lead them to it. It makes you upset. makes you a little jealous because well, well, you didn't convert them. You didn't teach them. They're not listening to you. You might be a Thessalonian if you're unwilling to keep an open mind. That's so important. Think about what the apostles had to do. They had to go out into a closed-minded world, a world that already had their, the Jewish people already had their viewpoint about religion, didn't they? Absolutely, they did. Did the Greeks? Of course they did. Even the apostles <laughs> early on in their life had their own particular religious viewpoints, but they had to be open to the truth and to change. We, too, cannot be so hard-headed that we're not open. It's not, well, I figured it out a long time ago. I got it figured out now. No. Always keep an open mind. There's things through my study of God's word that at one point I was convinced about that. Now I'm like, I'm not convinced of that anymore. On the other hand, there's things that I wasn't sure about that now when I study God's word, I go, oh, man, absolutely, that's what it says but I wouldn't have been able to come to those conclusions if I didn't keep an open mind. Number three, you might be a Thessalonian if you've never had to change your thinking about Scripture. Yeah, if you've never had to say, you know what, I think I was wrong about that passage. You know what, I think I really wasn't obeying this right. You know, I don't think that means what I said it means. If you've never had to change your mind, change your thinking about Scripture, you never had to go, you know what, I I think... What I believed over here wasn't right. If you've never had to do that, probably a Thessalonian. And if you're actively trying to persuade people to your preconceived beliefs while turning people against the word, you absolutely are a Thessalonian. If you want people to be just like you and not just like Jesus, you're a Thessalonian. We wanna be truth seekers. We wanna be like the Bereans. We wanna have a good attitude toward the gospel of Jesus Christ and to God's word, the scripture. We want to be a people that are open-minded enough, truth-seeking enough, that when we study it, when we read it daily, it changes our lives and shapes us to be more like our Lord. The lesson is yours this morning. My encouragement to all of us is spend more time in God's word, let's be like and not like Thessalonians. It's all stand together and Greg will lead us in our next song. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.